0: This is MarTech Interviews, a podcast from DK New Media, publishers of MarTech, the leading publication for sales and marketing professionals to research, discover, and learn how technology is driving business results. Your host is Douglas Carr.
1: Welcome in another in our interview series with uh, Martech leaders. Uh, This is Douglas Carr of the Martech blog, and I have uh, all the way via Skype (laughs) is uh, I have Justin Gray on the line. Justin, how are you, sir?
0: Not too shabby about yourself.
1: I'm doing fantastic and great to speak to you. I know we uh, we've bounced around each other in circles for the last decade, so.
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm jealous. I'm not back in that uh, podcast studio of yours. I see pictures of it online all the time. I'm. I've completely got podcast FOMO. <laughs>
1: Well, right next door is the bourbon uh, bar too. So that's, wow. that's where the real fun happened.
0: Yeah, I'm really jealous.
1: <laughs> well, uh, for those of you uh, listening, uh, Justin Gray is a serial entrepreneur serving currently as the CEO and founder of LeadMD. LeadMD is the world's largest marketing automation consultancy, uh, having implemented over half of, of the Marketo user base. Wow. That's incredible. Uh, Justin has made a career of launching successful companies and scaling them to success. In addition to LeadMD, Justin is also the co-founder of PaidSuite, a software as a service payment technology provider, and Grayson Organics, an organic farm in rural Missouri, which he co-owns with his father. Which is awesome. Uh, over the past 10 years, Justin has emerged as a strong voice for entrepreneurship and modern day marketing. As a recognized speaker, Justin has been published over 300 times in industry publications. I think it's probably more than that. And holds featured contributor statuses with Inc., Entrepreneur, TechCrunch, and others. Uh, in other words, when Justin speaks, uh, people absolutely listen. <laughs> uh, Justin and his wife, Jennifer, met over marketing automation. Was that account based marketing there?
0: Uh, yeah, that's good. That's good account targeting. Right
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, uh, and it says here that you're expecting your first child.
0: Well, it, it, that, that buyer is a little bit old. We, we had him about eight weeks ago.
1: So. Oh, congratulations. That's fantastic. Thank you. Uh, nothing, nothing makes me happier. Forget the podcast. We're done. <laughs> 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 well, Justin, uh, I, and, and I love that, um, I love that we're connecting with one or another because, um, uh, your approach to account-based marketing, or or maybe not your approach, but your expertise there and your background, I, I just love uh, everything that you say about it. When everybody asks about account-based marketing, you know, we we all in the digital, you know, marketing technosphere, if you will, you know, we hear these silver bullet terms, and uh, and account-based marketing is one of those that's you know got to do it. Everybody's jumping at it, and. And your response to that is, "Hey, this is just good marketing." Can you speak a little bit more to that?
0: Yeah, I, I mean, this quality over quantity message that that everyone's been trying to latch onto for it seems you know the better part of a decade just has has never really taken root, unfortunately. And, and uh, I'm hopeful that this time around with with abm or account based or, or whatever we want to term it um, that it might actually find some traction and uh and really put the focus back on on quality and so I do think, you know, a large component of ABM is just a, a focus on quality. It's hyper-personalization. Um, it's knowing your audience. It's aligning a really relevant message. And, and those, to me, sound a lot like what good marketing is. Now, I understand, you know, ABM brings with it a focus on a, a much smaller subset of accounts. And, you know, we can talk through those nuances. But for the most part, we're we're, we're using practices that we know are going to yield results. And we're moving away from that quote unquote hack or quote unquote, you know, uh, you know, the, the scalable is even, you know, become a kind of a four letter word in marketing these days, because essentially it means, hey, I'm going to use a tool to do something that's that's not quite as quality at with a larger number that's going to yield you know, a, a diminishing result. And I think account-based really gives us a license to go back to fundamentals and say, we're going to do what we know we should have been doing all along. And that's what, that's what excites me about ABM.
1: Uh, same, same here. And and I, I feel as though, you know, before it was a term, you know, the, the big companies and let's say 20 years ago, well, it's not 20, but probably 15 years ago, back before Salesforce bought Exact Target, I mm-hmm. really feel like you know, account based marketing was absolutely what we were doing. Uh, we just didn't call it that, you know, right. and, and, but, but we knew exactly, you know, uh, who the large accounts were, um, what they were spending, you know, what their strategies were. We built demos specifically for them and we, you know, we, we handheld them through the conversion cycle and, and, and those were our most lucrative, you know, uh, investments from a marketing standpoint. And I I think the, you know, the sales and marketing alignment were perfect uh, because we had to work hand in hand on those. And and I really feel like that's what we're talking about here. Would you, would you agree?
0: I, I would, I feel like it's, you know, those, those closed door meetings where you brought in, you know, your top marketer, your top sales guy, maybe the executive, and you really sat around and you strategized on that one key account that you had to get that quarter. Um, that's account-based marketing for me. And, and and for some reason, there was always this other epicenter of of marketing going on in the background that that everyone kind of poked fun at. And and when you saw like the 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 announcement come out of like, Hey, we're running a webinar later on this week, invite your accounts to it and so on. Everyone kind of shrugged it off because it was just something that marketing was doing like this weird arts and crafts department was just kind of, they, they were doing something with their time and, and everyone had to kind of put up with it. And I feel like account-based marketing really gives us the, the license to say those closed door meetings, that's what everyone should have been doing. Right. And that's the lens th- you know, through which marketing should operate. So, you know, again, I'm, I'm excited about that change.
1: Yeah, I, I am as well and I and I think it, it um you know if you've got a marketing team that kinda goes off on its own from a branding um you know experience and they're not talking to the sales team, account based marketing is one of those things that ratchets us all back together and, and really forces, you know, both sides to, to work hand in hand with one another.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's always room for, for branding and, you know, branding today, can, there can be an argument that is largely content creation um, and product marketing and, you know, the, you have to have those general pieces that you're going to utilize probably early on within the, the marketing and, and, and buying process. But I think you're right, you know, when you say ratcheting it back, it forces us to also ensure that we're conducting those personalized activities and we're really focused around who is this, go- who is this meant for, who's it going to resonate with, and how are we getting business out of whatever that, that, uh, you know, that product is, that's, that's the other side of the coin for marketing. And that's the coin, the side of the coin that's been neglected for too long.
1: And, and do you see when, as you're implementing, you know, as, as your team is implementing with customers that are making this transition, are they, you know, obviously there's some change in process, but are you seeing a huge change? in how the marketing teams and sales teams are functioning, you know, both together and apart.
0: I think the biggest change is, you know, marketing is, is, is being forced to take a look at their database you know, that's the first step that we recommend anyone goes through, you know, who are your real best buyers? What does sales have those those lists of their key accounts? And that's what they're focused on. We find that marketing really isn't privy to those oftentimes. And so it really is aligning, you know, both those departments in, in lockstep, right from the beginning around who, who are we going to be speaking to, you know, this quarter, or this year, whatever their their account planning timeframe might be, uh, and forcing them to, to both have that same set rather than, Marketing just going out and and blasting, you know, a database that's 10, 20, 100 times the size of their ideal customer profile and kind of taking anything that precipitates out of those marketing efforts and serving it up to sales. It forces that we're both focused on that same Core group of, of best buyers, which is just incredibly powerful.
1: And so, does it? Uh, I, and I'm hearing you give us nuggets of information here that are really important. So, if a if a company is going to transition from kind of this, hey, here's my you know list of you know ten thousand prospects uh, to really you know, hone in on, on the best prospects is the first step of this analyzing your current customer base and kind of scoring those prospects against it.
0: Uh, I actually would say the first step is to, to realize how unproductive the strategy you've been using in the past has been. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I think benchmarking is just probably, it's the number one overlooked tool, both on the marketing and sales side. That can really help get organizational buy-in around this this new approach, right? Uh, because if you're going to simply change your process, you you know sales and marketing are going to get get together and say this account-based thing. I think it's got merit, um, rather than aiming at a hundred thousand. Uh, prospects in our database. We're going to aim at 150. Um, that's going a lot of those key metrics that everyone has been measuring and that, f- quite frankly, feel good. You know, from an executive standpoint, that CMO wants to know, oh, we produced 10,000 leads this quarter, and, and that's up from 8,500 last quarter, and so on. We've been we've been reliant on those feel-good metrics for too long, and so unless we can take a tangible report that shows, well, out of those 10,000 leads, we've actually converted like 0.05 percent of those into pipeline, and we've closed 50% of that, um, then I think it's really hard to get the buy-in that's necessary around things that ABM naturally creates, like a longer uh, time to pipeline or a longer time to revenue. Uh, and it doesn't have those really good feel-good metrics right up front of clicks or or eyeballs or or you know even number of leads generated. So it, it's a it's a big organizational shift. So I think you have to be prepared for that uh, via benchmarking. And once you've got that buy-in, then yes, I would say your next step is is really ensuring that everyone has the right ideal customer profile in mind and that you've got the right data in your database to to represent that ICP.
1: And how much of that database, you know, when we're talking uh, and and I want to speak specifically to the people that have kind of the, uh, you know, they have the catch all sales presentation and they have the catch all, um, you know, sales pitch and, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, lead generation and um, outbound calling and everything else. If we were speaking directly to them. What level of customization happens when you switch over to account-based marketing and you you even just start that sales cycle with a prospect?
0: Yeah, I, I, you know the number one qualifier there is obviously the size, your average ticket, as I call it, or the average you know, ARR of, of your solution. If you're dealing with a $10,000, $15,000 solution and you need to sell you know, 10, 15 deals a month in order to hit quota, then you, you're going to need to dial back some of that customization. But if you, if you're uh, what I would call a vanilla ABM play, where you're selling you know six-figure uh, annual contracts, and you need to sell maybe two or three of those on a monthly basis to hit quota, you know you you have to think about where your time is best spent. And so if I've got let's say five or six at bats to make that uh, two or three deal quota each month. I'm going to want to put my time into making sure that I've got a highly customized presentation there. I've, I've kind of put together a sales offer that, that shows that prospect, what my solution can do for them, that I understand their business, that I've zoned in on a problem that I've got a value based uh, message that, that I've been able to to understand and and something that I can solve with my solution. That makes a ton of sense. Um, You know, if I've got a, Play a little bit more of the velocity game, and I'm in more of a what I would call a hybrid uh, ABM environment. I'm going to need to dial that back because I'm going to need to do it more often. And chances are I don't have you know five supporting individuals, you know, a product marketer and a, a field marketer and a BDR. I don't have this this ecosystem around me that that I can pass that work off to. So obviously you have to be realistic about the level of personalization that you can do. But I think the the, the key point there is it that general deck doesn't work in this environment i mean it doesn't work for consumers that are online looking at a product so why do we expect it to work in a b2b environment Um, so we have to bring some level of personalization there and i think that that level is simply determined by what is the size of the deal that i'm looking to sell and how many of those do i need to do on a monthly or quarterly basis to to make my number
1: i love this and it seems to me in in um you can tell me I'm wrong. Um, (laughs) but you know, we work with a lot of B2B clients and it's really amazing. You know, when you work on the organic side, you know, so we, so we'll work with a client totally on that inbound marketing side. And, and the irony is that we love ABM. We're not a mass production outfit. We want to, you know, pinpoint the content that we're producing. We want to go after the search terms that we absolutely know we're going to identify, you know, the, the very prospects that we're looking for. And so when we look at this, we love it because it means that the company is either come to us with a ton of research and analysis around their prospects or they want a ton of research, you know, an analysis around those prospects. And then when we're producing premier content for them, you know, we get this, uh, I I've had multiple clients tell me the same thing and it's really exciting to me. It's that they, they go, Doug, we, we don't care about being number one on, you know, Google. We don't, we just don't care. But if you get us on the if you get us on the first page for relevant terms, that's when we know, you know, that we're in the RFP process and we're and we're rolling and we have authority and everything else. And And leave it to our sales team and our marketing team internal, you know, to take it from there, you know, and complete that. And I keep hearing this more and more and more. I keep hearing it that it's not social media. We're, we're seeing social media. Uh, helping to create and build the network and start tapping those relationships. We're not seeing it in, let's say, organic or or even pay-per-click. Maybe we're doing some awareness building there a little Mm -hmm. bit. But for the most part, when we're producing this content, we want a pinpoint. We want absolute accuracy. And when we hit it, boy, we nail it, you know, that those customers are, are halfway through the sales cycle. We've answered their questions for them. We've aided the sales team with all of the supporting documentation and, and they're well on their way.
0: Yeah, I think there's a couple, you know, macro level trends that are, that are at play there as well, right? Like you, we've seen search move from something that you could at one point get your arms around to something that's just completely out of control. Like I I just searched for marketing automation consulting, uh, in my browser here while we were talking and there's, you know, over 2.5 million results. Um, I don't, I mean, there's just too much data. And so you can be, you know, being on the first page, being on the second page, like I I think just as a society and as consumers, we've moved into a place where, search is okay, but, but search within context has really become king. And so, you know, that context is, is most normally provided by a referral or a recommendation yep. or yep. a study or something that you've seen where, you know, like I, I just know that if I'm certain, it's kind of like planning a vacation, right? Like my wife and I were talking about, Hey, where, where do we want to go on a vacation here? And, and like, I would never just Google search that. Um, I, you know, and I feel like the same, you know, that that's, that's a low end purchase, quite frankly, in comparison to like what we spend on B2B software. Um, so why, why would we believe that someone's just going to put out, hey, I'm going to bank my job. And, you know, the next 12 months of my life on something that I find just in a blanket search. So uh, I think you have just seen search be devalued in, in that way. And, and as a result we've seen the value creep up around curated search and, and search that has that that level of meeting through referral and so on. so i think that's that's one of those big macro reasons but you know your point once you have someone regardless of how we've acquired them through inbound and, and i really do think content is is a massive opportunity there like good content still stands out so head and shoulders above like the 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 junk that most organizations are turning out just for the sake of of hitting some sort of content quota on a weekly basis um, so like if we can get that interest and then our next step you know I've heard that before like hey you guys served this piece of content up to me right when I needed it like what what are you doing on the back end there and you know some of that is a little bit of of luck in, in using buyer personas really well and understanding what people normally need to consume but you know that's what we need to that's what we need to put our efforts on is when this type of buyer, Comes into our organization. What do they need to know? Like, exactly. what? How can we personalize that? How can we make that experience custom? That's what stands out in the, in the minds of a buyer, not that first search on Google.
1: Yeah, absolutely absolutely. Yeah, I, I tend to see it a, 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 almost a, the reverse. Is that it's not that people are searching on Google to find the opportunity. It's that they found some opportunities and then they use Google to validate those. You know, right. so Agreed. so you know, you want to make sure that you're obviously there from an authority standpoint. Um, you know, otherwise people might, may find your competitors on some niche, you know, or very, very specific, you know, content, you know, search that someone's just looking for. Wow. That's, that's that's good information. And, and with the organizations that lead MD is working with, what do you see from a transition cycle? You know, is this a, you know, um, and I understand that you know, if you've got an enterprise organization with thousands of you know um, outbound employees or salespeople, that it could be a huge implementation. But do you tend to see the uh, an ABM implementation, you know, months or years, or, or how how, do, how is it typically accomplished at an organization?
0: So I think that the number one fear that we hear from, from prospects and customers is that, you know, we're we're gonna we're gonna forget to keep the lights on while we're running this new experiment. And you know, for better or for worse, we've gotten ourselves largely addicted to lead volume. We've gotten, you know, we've structured teams around it. We've got, I mean, look at all the different sales quote unquote enablement solutions on the market today. I've got clients that are running two and three of those internally just because a pot of BDRs liked tout app and another pod like outreach and a third pod like sales loft like very it's become highly democratized in terms of how we've let these teams kind of govern themselves and and therefore we've kind of built this spider web of dependence around leads like if the leads dry up these guys don't have anything to do and we've acquired all this expensive software to support that process so i i get it i understand the concern with hey we need to keep this machine running until we see some, we can see some tangible benefit from from a different strategy. It's you know kind of being looked upon as with a degree of skepticism, and so we're really seeing a, a huge market for what we call proof of concept. So let, let's take your enterprise team, let's take maybe your best rep or your couple you know top reps, and let's focus on building a business case around. Uh, this new process with them. Number one, they're going to adopt it quicker because they're top performers. They're used to doing a lot of these these motions already. We're really kind of just training marketing to, again, come in lockstep with that. We're training executives that, you know, this is probably the biggest challenge out there is to, to get an executive to understand that sending an, e- an email to a cold prospect is a good use of their time. And I think that that's the, that's the number one barrier that we've seen to ABM so far is, you know, these folks are so used to, well, show me that they're qualified, show me that there's revenue that's going to happen in the next 90 days before I get involved. And and we're kind of flipping that on its ear. We're saying you need to be aligning with this, this, this organization. We need to be threaded in our approach. Like our, our outbound orchestration has to be spot on and, these folks that have never participated before have to have to be involved in that process. So even with the proof of concept, uh, uh strategy that, that has been a, a bit of a challenge, but I tell you, if you can get that benchmark in, uh, initially to show how poorly this demand gen waterfall has performed amongst some segments and, and don't get me wrong, like volume and velocity business for for SMB ends of the market and for low ARR absolutely yeah. are, are critical. But, you know, when you look at what it's doing in the enterprise business and we're just spending money to waste these quote unquote leads that we're putting on our enterprise reps and they're actually spending their day talking to unqualified individuals, um, it, it's pretty easy to make a business case for, well, let, let's light up this proof of concept. Let's get this rolling and let's demonstrate some real value. And then the rest of the org is going to want to participate in this versus something that's being shoved down their throat and, and kind of to your point earlier, being painted as the latest silver bullet or, you know, latest buzzword.
1: I love it. And I, I I love the focus here. Um, it almost seems to me that organizations, you you talked about the addiction that they get to, you know, I call them vanity metrics, you know, it's the mm-hmm. metrics that don't really mean anything, but they're big numbers. And if they get bigger, everybody's happy within an organization, but n- nobody ever, you need, know, nobody ever, ever proved the correlation, you know, between let's say the number of leads and and the revenue growth of a company typically in those organizations. And that's my problem with it is you have a vanity metric and I say, okay, so why are you measuring that? And what's the correlation between that and your revenue? And that's typically when you get a blank stare from someone.
0: I was going to ask what the, what the response normally is to that question. Yeah.
1: It's a blank stare. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And and, and I think typically we find that that's the case because it's, it's, it's easy to measure, you know, like crossing that you know, or we don't get access into the sales pipeline. Sales doesn't keep their opportunities up to date. They're not using CRM properly, so on and so forth. Like there's this natural wall that we kind of put up there. And so marketing starts measuring things that they can get at in a very easy manner. And obviously clicks and opens and eyeballs and, and even lead uh, capture are, are somewhat easy to measure. And that's where we see that, that kind of uh, those metrics getting hung up. And so those KPIs really become anything but.
1: Yeah. Oh, this is a great conversation. Uh, it's not even about account-based marketing. It's just marketing.
0: <laughs> well, I, I think the, the account-based designation really depends on, you know, can you afford from a financials perspective to focus on, you know, 150, 250 accounts. Um, If you can't, then you've probably got some sort of blend in there, but the, the backbone of personalization and, and just, you know, buyer messaging and and mapping that journey in a really tailored way applies regardless of your go-to-market strategy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, any other advice that you have to a company that's, you know, looking at this?
0: I mean, I kind of, I kind of shot myself in the foot and gave my number one piece of advice right up front, which is start benchmarking. (laughs) Um, you know, I, I guess, Yeah, it's just so powerful. I guess it does. It's good to just restate it. I mean, you have to look if you're a CMO and you're not challenging your teams to look at the results of that current waterfall in a really honest manner. And don't don't get hung up in that old. Well, we we don't have good visibility into the sales pipeline like that has to change in order for you to be in the marketing seat over the next decade, you are going to have to have a relationship with revenue. And so if you're letting technology stand in that way, I would really challenge organizations to think, about the types of investments that they've made in technology and I, I think most of them would be pretty interested in alleviating that challenge so if it's simply an integration uh, issue or maybe it's a training issue if it falls in the sales side or maybe it's just a you know a, a perception issue but y- you have to have a window into what marketing's day-to-day is is having in terms of impact on that on that sales uh, pipeline and, and sales closed revenue um, that that has to that has to be a key metric that you can monitor. So I would say beyond just benchmarking, really dive into what's preventing you from from tying your your efforts to revenue uh, in a really visible, tangible way, and and alleviate any sort of those those roadblocks.
1: Oh, that's fantastic advice. I I totally agree. I often you know we we talk with clients often before they even get into the you know the the sales process or the buying cycle of of Martech. You know we we really push them to write their processes down, you know, and identify where there's some gaps in their processes, because that can be the telltale sign of, you know, how marketing technology can fill those.
0: I had a, I'll tell a quick little anecdote here. So when I first started lead MBA, I was kind of looking to make a marketing splash and I, I put out this, this two X guarantee, which was essentially like the, what, what, I, the, the number of leads that you're getting right now as a, as a sales team, we will come in and double it. And I put these restrictions on it, like you had to have Salesforce.com, you had to let us implement Marketo, and you had to be able to clearly measure these items and have like a, I think it was a six-month uh, track record of those KPIs, so I could I could measure myself against. No one ever took us up on this guarantee. It was literally your money back if we don't do this. And I had done the math on it, and I said I think we can do this. I think we can, you know, I think we can make a big splash by having this this really strong message out there. And the message resonated, but no one ever took us up on the money back guarantee. Because we could, we, they didn't have the the benchmark of of historical data, and I think wow. that that's, that's super sad, and and that's what needs to change within marketing right
1: now. Well, it's super sad, but it's also a message for everybody out there because I think every time I sit down at the table with someone, they say, "Okay, look, you know, we're way behind," and and I yeah. my response is always. Everybody I speak to says that, you know, everybody is way behind. Everybody is having a difficult time, you know, measuring and, and getting those finite processes in place. It's not, you know, it's not uncommon that that we work with a client for a year and we're still doing implementations, you know, trying to get them to those to those spots.
0: Yeah, you know, it's the old, when's the best time to plant a tree, right? So someone needs to start planting trees today. You know, like we, we, we didn't do it 20 years ago, but we, we've got to pick that torch up and run with it.
1: Awesome. Well, what's, so what's next on the horizon for Justin?
0: Well, you know, uh, like I said, that, that bio is a little bit outdated there. I, uh, we actually lit up a, a new organization called Six Bricks about a year ago. and We've been formalizing what we consider to be uh, modern marketing curriculum and serving it up through an online LMS that we built from the ground up. Um, that we call career-based marketing or career-based learning. So really taking the the skills that we see organizations starve for every single day and designing curriculum to augment and and create those skills within marketers. Um, I do believe that we focus just way too much time on on technology. And I guess as a secondary notion process, but we, we haven't focused any time on our people. And, uh, you know, education and, and, and developing skills out there within the marketplace is the only thing that's really going to get, you know, that people process and technology equation back into balance. So we are, uh, you know, sixbricks.com. We're, we're firing that business up. I'm going for funding right now and and uh, hoping to, to make a big splash in Q1 of 18 around that. But that's really where I see the biggest potential uh, in the marketplace today is, is solving the skills gap challenge that exists as we bring all this new technology, but we don't, we're not bringing the skill sets to run it. And I think that's, that's becoming a pretty glaring problem for most people that are actually cutting checks within an organization.
1: Oh, that's, that's absolutely fantastic. We will definitely publish this out. And, um, it's, it's funny that you say that last year we, we had a a turnover in our, in our company, some, some personnel turnover, but we had started down the path of actually writing out, you know, curriculums and it was for the same reason. It was, it was just that we, you know, there was, there was each end of the scale was out there. There was the, you know, the full four year degree that you come out of and you're three years behind on technology, or there was the half hour YouTube video. That right. um, yeah. that didn't get you enough information. So I love that you're heading down this route and uh, absolutely interested in talking to you offline about it as well.
0: For sure, absolutely. Well, I mean, we've all seen Scott Brinker's market map, right? Yeah. Like the the, the Martech. I mean, that thing is depressing. Yes, it how, is. How, how is someone supposed to learn all of these items? You know, what 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 categories do they even break down in? How do we how do we ensure that when we buy them, it, it just you know. In a very concise statement, right now we create process after we buy technology. Yes, it, it exposes, oh, we got to fill this gap. This software wants us to plug in, you know, X. We better come up with a process around that. like that's completely backwards. and and we all know it. It's just you know, again, trying to keep the wheels, moving, keep the lights on and training, unfortunately, and and education tends to be one of the last items that we all focus on, but we really need to change that here, you know, in a, in a go forward manner.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. And I, and I would, I would, you know, talk to companies, um, too, about, you know, the augmentation of their marketing team is a really good idea, I think, nowadays. And that's, and that's bring in the experts, you know, from an organization that's done it dozens of times, you know, like a lead MD, obviously, but, but augmenting your workforce with experts is a great way to get them that exposure and education as well.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, I don't even know what we call that necessarily, but it's almost like that micro outsourcing. It's that, it's that, you know, uh, curation element of someone that's seen it from the very beginning. They know the iterations it went through. They know where the bodies are buried. And if you know, you look at the the amount of turnover that exists, certainly within the technology space and and marketing. I feel like is almost uh, you know amplified. Even is you know we're seeing turnover of. Average six eight months tenure with yeah. within these these jobs, and it's so difficult to get a consistency when that's happening. So if you can apply, you know whether you do it through documentation or learning or you know bringing in an agency to provide some consistency, it's a real challenge. And I think a lot of organizations haven't taken a step back and said like, what what are we going to do if we lose this kind of unicorn individual that's that's running everything? Uh, they brought in technology. They're they they've spent a lot, made a lot of investment. Uh, and if they were suddenly gone tomorrow, what would we do? And I think that's the, unfortunately, that question only gets asked when that situation becomes all too real.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Oh, pleasure talking to you, Justin. This is fantastic.
0: Uh, I appreciate you having me on.
1: Yeah, and for everybody listening, where can people find you online?
0: Yeah, so uh, I am on Twitter at jgraymatter. Um, that's one of my favorite channels. And then, of course, leadmd.com forward slash marketplace. That's all of our best practices, content, everything that we create there. I like to say that we give away more, more best practices than most agencies have. Um, so either one of those channels would, uh, would be awesome. I'd love to, to chat uh, with anyone who has a question or wants to learn a little bit more about what we do
1: fantastic and uh everybody out there be sure to sign up for uh see if you can get on the private beta list for six bricks as
0: well Sixbricks.com. we're taking beta learners right now we've got uh, a a pilot with the university of arizona launching here on june 5th so i'm excited about that as well
1: congratulations
0: thank you so much thanks
1: again justin
0: for sure The Martech Interviews podcast is recorded at DK New Media's State of the Art podcast studio at The Speakeasy in downtown Indianapolis. Subscribe at martech.zone. Sponsorships and marketing services are available through dknewmedia.com.